Holy Spirit and knowing the Holy Spirit. Uh, just so you know, uh, all of our teachings, uh, uh, Bible studies are archived on our website at LighthouseDiscipleship.org as well as our YouTube channel, Lighthouse Discipleship Center. And uh, anyway, so uh, we also welcome you to join us tonight for our Bible study on Effortless Change by Andrew Womack. Uh, at, uh, excuse me, I think I remember what day it is, 6 o'clock tonight, and then we have a Bible study by the same author, Andrew Womack, on the Believer's Authority on Wednesday nights at 7. So we enjoy you, we invite you to join us for both of those Bible studies. Anyway, like I said, we're going to uh, continue in our Bible study, our teaching this morning on knowing the Holy Spirit. And we've been talking about this, so we've already had 11 weeks on this. i got a couple more to go. Uh, we're not quite done yet. And so, anyway, uh, and I didn't quite finish last week's lesson. So, uh, anyway, we're going we're to continue on that theme this morning, talking about knowing the Holy Spirit. So if you have your Bibles, we'll be going to uh, 1 Corinthians 13 very shortly here. Uh, but I wanted to kick off again with our, our theme verse for this study, for, coming from 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14. This is the very last verse in Paul's second letter to the church in Corinth. And it says, The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. And then I don't have my clicker with me. Let me grab it real quick. Um, uh, I've been also been reading this from the, the New King James Version. I mean, the message uh, paraphrase translation over the last uh, uh, few weeks. And so I want to read it again this morning. And it says, The amazing grace of the Master Jesus Christ, the extravagant love of God, and the intimate friendship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And so, excuse me as I get tangled in my cord here. You know, we, we talk a lot about in this church, and most churches I've been to, about the grace of God. We talk a lot about the, the extravagant love of the Father. We talk a lot about, in other words, we talk a lot about knowing Jesus, and we talk a lot about knowing the Father. But I don't hear a lot of messages, and I know I have never taught, I'm specifically knowing the Holy Spirit. And knowing Him as our an uh, intimate friendship. And that's where I'm going with that. In talking about the Holy Spirit, I have to also spend time talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, tongues, and then and also the gifts of the Holy Spirit, which I'm trying to wrap up today, that, and, and also going into a little I want to teach a little bit on prophecy. Uh, Paul spent some time on prophecy as well as tongues. And I believe it's needed in our day as well. So um, that's the direction I'm going to go this morning. I'm going to finish my teaching on the gifts this morning. <coughs> and then I'm going to gear into going to talk about prophecy this morning. Okay? And it relates to knowing the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to steer this whole message back into our theme of uh, an uh, intimate friendship of the Holy Spirit. Now that I've got some of these uh, uh, teachings out of the way. So if you have your Bibles, go, go with me back to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We are not quite done with that chapter from last week. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, I'm not going to read the whole chapter again, but I'm gonna, uh, I want to set the stage and uh, do a little bit of recap of where we come uh, so far in this context. Paul has sandwiched his teaching on love between his teaching on the gifts. He spends all, actually, he's, throughout the whole book, he's talking about unity. Throughout the whole letter, he's talking about unity in the body of Christ, 
in a church in Corinth that is was out of order in many different ways. There's a lot of division and strife and contentions going on. And and then he's but but he's he talks about the gifts in chapter twelve, but he only really mentioned them uh, in a few verses, two or three verses, maybe four at the most. The the most the bulk of the chapter is about the body of Christ. And so, uh, and then, he, but he also, for lack of a better term, he spends uh, chapter 12 talking about the gifts, and then he spends chapter 14 talking about the gifts as well, specifically highlighting tongues and prophecy. But he, and right in the middle of this, right in the middle of this sandwich of talking about the gifts, he talks about love. He ends chapter 12 saying that, that I'm, I'm going to show you a more excellent way. How to use these gifts. He's been talking about unity and he, now throughout the, the, the he talked about the gifts. He, he, he commends them in chapter 1 for, for, for excelling in the gifts. He's not boycotting the gifts, but he is promoting us to pursue love. As he, he, he ends chapter 12 by saying, I'll show you a more excellent way. He starts chapter 14 by saying, pursue love. Desire uh, spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. And that's why I'm going to sp spend a little time on it and, uh, if we get there today. But this most excellent way is love. And he starts out chapter 13. I'm not going to read all these verses, but the first three verses he talks about, you can speak in tongues like a man of angels, but without love, it's, an, it's just a annoying noise. No one wants to be just an annoying noise. You know, and uh, you can have the gift of prophecy, which we're going to talk about later. <coughs> you can understand all mysteries and knowledge, faith to move mountains. But without love, you are nothing. Prophecy is good, but if you don't have love, it's nothing. You can give all your goods to feed the poor. You can, you can give your body to be burned at the stake. But without love, it profits you nothing. He's talking about love. He's... He's, the most excellent way is to use the gifts, but to use them with love. You know, if you can use the gifts, I, I don't care what gifts you have. You can have the gift of miracles. You can have the gift of faith. <coughs> Some of the ones that we all would love to have are, are we cling to those who do have those. But without love, it, it, it profits nothing. It's nothing. The more excellent way is, is the gift operating in love versus the flesh. Humility versus pride, selflessness versus selfishness. Okay, and then, uh, then, uh, in, in verses four through seven, Paul begins to define what love is. I'm not going to go through all of these, but he he mentions 16 characteristics of what love is. Okay, actually, I just briefly mentioned these. I might as well just kind of read it. It says it suffers long, it's kind, it does not envy, does not parade itself, it's not puffed up, it's never rude, does not seek its own, it is not provoked, thinks no evil, doesn't rejoice in injustice, rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, and then the ends of beginning chapter eight: love never fails. We'll spend some more time in a few weeks talking about the fruit of the Spirit. And to me, these 16 characteristics of what love is, as Paul defines love, is also, I think, characterizing the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and temperance, or self-control. Okay? We talked about that. I'm not going to rehash a lot of that again today. That's kind of a recap. What I want to go into, uh, go with me to verse 8. And this is where we're going to pick it up uh, from what we didn't finish it last week. Okay. 
he begins the verse, verse 8, by saying love never fails, which to me is kind of a conclusiveness of the, the, the 16 characteristics he just talked in the previous verses. But then uh, there's a period of the, in the word fail, and he starts a new concept between here and verse 13. And this is where some people have some difficulty. That's why I want to spend a little bit of time on this. Let me read, let me read the context here, and then uh, we'll talk about it. It says, but whether there, be, are, whether there are prophecies, and we're going to talk about that, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, we have talked about that, they will cease. And whether there is, not, whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. <coughs> For we know in part, excuse me, and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish sins. For now we see in the mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know, now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I am also no, am known. And now abide, abide faith, hope, love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. <coughs> okay, there's some power, powerful things that Paul is bringing light to, again, he's talking about, in this whole book, he's been talking about love and unity, among other things. He's been, in context, he's been talking about the gifts. Specifically in this chapter, he's talking about love in the middle of the sandwich of talking about the gifts. But he makes three statements in chapter, in verse 8. <coughs> I want to read that again. But whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. And whether there, is, whether, whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. And this is where some people have come on and and some people have taught and believed that there's a, there's a day that where prophecies will cease, will, will, will fail, tongues will cease, and knowledge will vanish away. And usually the one that they highlight the most is the tongues one. But that, that's the one people are the most uncomfortable with anyway. And so they're like, well, tongues have ceased. And they highlight tons of seeds, but they, they kind of ignore the other two. <laughs> well, prophecies will, will, will fail, and, and, uh, and uh, knowledge will vanish away. They don't, they don't spend a lot of time talking about those two, but they highlight the one of the three. So if you've got to take one away, you've got to take the other two away too. Okay? But he, he goes on, verse 9, But we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But then verse 10 is what I consider the, the key verse here. But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away with. That goes back with verse 8. Okay? When that is perfect has come. When that is perfect has come, then which is in part will be done away with. We, we know in part, we prophesy in part. Okay? In other words, Paul's saying something perfect is coming. It hasn't come yet, but it's coming. And that which is in part will be done away with. When, it says, when, when that which is perfect has come. The when hasn't happened. When that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away with. You know, you know sometimes we gotta read, we got to listen to what we're reading. When, when's this when? You know, let me just go off for a second. In con remember, in context of this whole book, 
This whole letter. Paul is, and, and then he goes on talking about when I was a child, I spoke as a child, I understood as a child, and I thought as a child. You know, he's been talking throughout this whole letter. When are you going to grow up? When are you going to mature? You know, I don't want to be a child in the kingdom of God forever. I want to grow up in him. You know, there's still times I like, at, you know, being childish in a sense, and in, the, in the moment, playing a game or teasing my wife or whatever the case may be. But I can't always do that. That can't be my, my lifestyle, you know. And in other words, I believe throughout this book, this whole division and strive and contention is childish. One of the first things we had to learn as a children is how to get along with one another. We didn't learn this at school. We learned this hopefully by our parents. You know, and I can't mandate it. I can't, I, I can only teach it. But I don't know about you. I want to grow up. I want to mature. I want to get along with people. I want to be a blessing to God, to you and our community. We can't do that unless we put away some childish things. Okay, so that, that, that's not the scope of what I want to teach right now. But that's in the backdrop. That's, that's, that, 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 we can't ignore that, okay? Let me just say this. Our best state now is childish. Even when we're at our best. Even when we are getting along. Even when we are operating. Even at our best is childish compared to the way we will be when Jesus comes again and we're in our resurrected bodies. That makes sense? Even at our best, it's childish compared to what we will be like when Jesus comes again and we are in our resurrected bodies. Where sin is no more. Where strife is no more. Contention is no more. That will be the fullness of maturity. But we're not there yet. And Jesus hasn't come back yet. And we don't have a resurrected body yet. He says, verse 12 and 13 real quick. For now we see in the mirror dimly, <coughs> but then face to fa then face to face. Again, I want to, I want to go back to verse ten for a minute. He says, "When that is perfect has come, and then we that which part will be done away with." There's this, there's this. We have to understand the tense. We have to understand when all these things is happening. He, in verse ten, he says, "Something's coming. Then we will be like something." In verse 12, he says, now, and I always ask this question whenever I see that word now. When's now? Now is right now. Now is not yesterday. And now is not tomorrow. Tomorrow now will be now. But the now is now. Now we see in a mirror, dimly. But then, there's that word then again, face to face. Now I know in part, but then... I shall know just as I'm also known. Again, now we see in the mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know as I'm known. And then he, goes, he concludes the chapter by saying, uh, Now by the faith, hope, love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. I'm going to come back to verse 10 and 12 in just a second here, but I want to, I want to spend a little bit, just a moment here in verse 13. He says, now abide faith, hope, love, and these three, but the greatest is love. We've been talking about, about love. I just want to highlight this word faith for a moment. Okay? 
Uh, keep your finger in 1 Corinthians 13 and go with me to verse Peter, 1 Peter 1 real quick. We're going to come back to verse... We're not done with 1 Corinthians 13. But I do, I do want to highlight, talk about something about faith just for a moment. 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning with verse 7. <coughs> and Peter says that the genuineness of your faith... Being more, much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, <coughs> excuse me, may be found to praise, honor, glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. I want to read that again. That the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, Honor and glory when at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, you love. There's that word love again. Though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. There's a lot here. There's a lot here. First of all, in verse 7, Peter compares faith to gold. You know when you refine gold, you refine it in fire to get all the impurities out? And a lot of people think that uh, when Peter's saying that, that faith is like gold, which though is tested by the fire, may be found praise and honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. A lot of people think that faith, God is the one that brings the trials to purify our faith. And I don't think that's what Peter is saying here. I believe what Peter is saying here, just like gold can withstand the fire, so can your faith. I want to say it again. Just like gold can withstand the fire, so can your faith. Because the gold is going to come out pure from the fire. Your faith is going to come out more pure from, from the fire. That doesn't mean God's the source of the, the, the fire, or the trials. I believe he, if this is supposed to comfort you, I, I believe this is supposed to encourage you that your faith can withstand whatever's coming against you. Keep in mind, Paul in, in Corinthians is talking about a lot of fire, a lot of tension, a lot of, a lot of things. There's a lot of things going on in our world right now. We are in a country that's divided. There's a lot of things going on. Persecution is on the rise. There's fire coming. But if you have faith, it will endure the fire. It will come through. It will be like gold in the fire. It will come out. And it says, it will be found to the praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus. And then he goes on to say, receiving the, <coughs> verse 9, he goes, the receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. There's a lot here I don't have time to spend. I'm not, a lot of time, I'm not talking about faith. I'm going to be talking about faith uh, more after we're done with this teaching on uh, the Holy Spirit. But faith, you know, Peter compares, again, the triumph of our faith to the purifying process of gold. Um, anyway, I'm not going to rehash all that. In other words, I believe faith will bring you through. Paul says in Galatians 5, 6 that faith works by love. Okay? We already read, since you're in Peter, go with me to the book of Jude. 
Jude is the next to the last book of the Bible. Jude, we'll pick it up in verse 20. We've already spent some time on here when we were talking about tongues. I'm not going to read the whole context of what I did last time, but verse 20, Jude, verse 20 says, But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy what? Faith. Praying in the Holy Spirit. Keeping yourself in the what? Love of God. You know, this tongues that Paul's going to go back into teaching in chapter 14, we're supposed to pursue love, especially and desire special gifts, especially prophecy. <coughs> But we're also not to forbid anyone to speak in tongues because when we speak in tongues, our spirit to God, our born-again spirit speaking to God, we build ourselves up in our most holy faith. And we need faith to endure the problems and the trials that are ahead. We need faith. Without faith, you know, in hope, he says faith, hope, and love. The greatest need is love. Hope is a, it is a positive expectation of good. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. Hope and faith go hand in hand. You can't have faith without hope. And faith is the, is the substance of your hope. And we need faith and we need hope to endure. Go with me real quick. I wasn't going to go here, but go with me to Romans 5.5. 5. Romans 5.5 5 says... Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts by who? The Holy Spirit. We're talking about knowing the Holy Spirit. We're talking about our intimate relationship, friendship with the Holy Spirit. Hope does not disappoint. Why? Because the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. We have hope because of the love of God. And if we have hope, faith is a substance of hope. <coughs> faith works by love. It's, these verses all connect. Okay? Go with me back. I, I know I'm talking a lot here. Go with me to 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5 verse 4. I know I'm keeping your fingers busy. But 1 John 5 4 says, For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world. Our faith. Your faith is what's going to help overcome the world. There's a lot of things going on in our world. I don't like a lot of things going on in our world <coughs> right now. But I fear God. I have faith in God more than I have faith in our country or different things. There's a time to speak up. There's a time, in a sense, to fight in war and stand up. But none of that fighting, none of that speaking out is going to, should deter me from having my faith in God. Trusting God. And what's going to keep my faith in God? The love of God. How am I going to sustain the love of God? Because the love of God has been shed abroad in my heart by the Holy Spirit. I need to keep myself in my most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. I need to, I need to, I need to keep this faith strong. How many of you know, you take your eyes off God just for a minute, millisecond, and get your eyes on the news and Facebook and everything else, you can go into fear real quick. <laughs> and out of faith. How many of you know we need to feed our faith and starve, starve our fears, but some of us are feeding our fears and starving our faith. Faith works by love. How do we overcome the world? Our faith. How does faith work? Faith is the substance of hope. How do we get hope? 
We get hope by the love of God that's been shed abroad in our hearts. The greatest of these is love. Because without love, you can't have hope and faith. And it won't work. It won't operate. We need all three. But the greatest of these is love. And we love because he first loved us. Okay? This is love. Not that we love him, but that he loved us and became the propitiation for our sins. Okay? With that in mind, let's go back to 1 Corinthians 13. 1 Corinthians 13. We're not quite done with uh, verses 10, uh, 10 to 12. Actually, let's go back to verse 8 real quick. But whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. But we know in part, we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away with. Down to verse 12. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I am also known. Okay? This entire book, and specifically these entire chapters, chapters 12 and then chapter 14, Paul has been, Paul has been contrasting love and the gifts of the Spirit. Did I lose you on that? Throughout this, throughout these, this context of chapters 12 and 14, Paul has been contra contrasting the love and the gifts of the Spirit. He's also telling us that the gifts, all of them, they are from God, and they are from the Holy Spirit. They are to be desired. We're supposed to pursue love, but we are to desire spiritual gifts. He started verse 12, chapter 12 by saying, I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren, of spiritual gifts. God, Paul does not want us to be ignorant of spiritual gifts. He wants us to desire them. He wants us to pursue love, but desire the Holy Spirit. I pursue my wife, but I do like other things. I like steak. I like potatoes. I like chocolate. I don't pursue them. I pursue my wife. There's some things I like to do. I like to play golf. I like the things I like to do. I like to work. As long as this is a job I enjoy, I do like to work. I enjoy working with my hands. I enjoy doing something versus being a couch potato. I, I like to relax too. But I don't want to relax 24-7. That's a boring life to me. There's a time to relax, but there's a time to be busy doing something. Even if it's a hobby, do it. Be, be active. Anyway, that, that's a whole other topic. But... I'm trying to talk about we pursue love, but we desire spiritual gifts. But as awesome as the gifts are, gifts are temporary, but love is eternal. Gifts are temporary, but love is eternal. Hope, faith, and love, we need to abide. He ends the chapter by saying, now abide, live, dwell, park yourself. Plant your, abide in faith, hope, and love. These three. But the greatest of these is love. Throughout eternity, the greatest of these will be love. We will have hope in eternity. We will, we will have faith in eternity. 
and we will have love in eternity. Paul was not discrediting the gifts. Okay? But he was stressing the operation of the gifts in superior to, and he's saying that in love is superior. In other words, we are to operate in the gifts through love. We are not to operate in the gifts carnally, naturally. We're supposed to operate in the gifts in love. That's superior. The gifts without love is nothing. The gifts with love is awesome. Okay? <clears throat> but but then, he go, then, then he says, When that which is perfect is come, we shall see him face to face. Then prophecy will fail, tongues will cease, and knowledge will pass away. When the perfect is come. Why? Why, why is this so? Why is, and who's the perfect, who, which is the perfect come? What is the perfect that's coming? That's Jesus. When Jesus comes and we have a resurrected body, why will prophecies fail? Why will tongues cease? And why will knowledge fail away? Why? Because in eternity, we will know all things. You don't need knowledge if you already know all things. We don't need prophecy. We won't need prophecy anymore. We won't need tongues anymore. We won't need knowledge anymore. Paul was comparing the temporariness of prophecy with the permanentness of love. <coughs> Paul was comparing the, the temporariness of tongues with the permanentness of love. Knowledge puffs up, but love edifies, it says in, in 1 Corinthians 8.1. Knowing the love of Christ is in an experiential way is superior to just plain intellectual knowledge. <coughs> in the book of Ephesians, Paul prays a prayer and he, he talks about how experiencing love is superior to, 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 to just having intellectual knowledge. Okay? We won't need the gifts when we are resurrected, when we're face to face with Jesus. They're great, but we need them here. The perfect hasn't come. We need them here. We need, there's a world that we need to reach. There's a world that we are trying to evangelize. But when, when the perfect has come, if we need to know something, Jesus is there. <laughs> we can be with him face to face. I don't need Jesus to talk to me in the tongue. I can just talk to him in my new or spiritual, whatever language that will be in heaven. I don't need a word of knowledge. I, don't, I will know all things. My spirit knows all things. But here, we need the gifts. So we can operate. So we can edify the church. So we can build up the church. So we can encourage one another. I don't know about you. I know I'm saved. I know I have the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I know my giftings. But I don't know about you, but there's some times along the way I need some encouragement. I need someone from time to time to give me a word of prophecy. There's from time to time I need a healing or I need a miracle. I need a word. We all need it. We all need to be edified and built up. There's... And in and, and, and the dark world, we're not going to get it from the world. 
We're not going to get it from all the turmoil going on in the world, but there is a secret place we can get it, and we can build ourselves up in our most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. We can His, His love is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Our intimate friend, the Holy Spirit, can shed His love in our hearts that gets the hamster wheel faith going. If I can put it that way. We have faith. We have, all have the measure of faith. It says in Romans 12, 3. There's only one measure of faith and we all have it. But sometimes we need to get the hamster wheel going and how do we get it turning? Love. Okay. Now let's switch gears. Let's talk about prophecy. Okay. Let's go to uh, the very next chapter. Chapter 14. Verse 1, pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. One of the most powerful gifts of the nine gifts that Paul mentions in chapter 12 is prophecy. Paul teaches how we, are, we need to operate in this particular gift. He says it here in verse 1. And then if you fast forward to the very uh, next, uh, near the end of the chapter, verse 39... I'm trying to scroll on my iPad. I'm almost there. He says, Therefore, brethren, desire earnestly to prophesy and do not forbid to speak in tongues. Paul seems to, he highlights love as the greatest, the most excellent way. And he talks about how we are to pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, prophecy. In other words, let me just say this. We are not pursuing prophecy. We are pursuing love and desiring spiritual gifts, especially that we may prophesy. That makes sense? We are desiring to prophesy, and we are desiring, we are earnestly desiring to prophesy above all the other nine. But we are pursuing love. And God is love. Okay? Um, and then you go to verse 2. <coughs> Excuse me. For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to man but to God. For no one understands him. However, in the spirit he speaks mysteries. But he who prophesies, verse 3, speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to man. I like this. You know, let me back up for a moment. I get a little ahead of myself on my notes. I want to say one more thing about verse 1. Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. You know, I believe this. All the things of God will operate how God ordained them to operate when we operate in love. I want to say that again. That's why I want to pause and I didn't want to skip over this. I believe, I, I don't want to read my notes again. All the things of God will operate, talk about the gifts, the church, the way the members are assembled together like a body. Like you talked about verse First Corinthians 12. I believe all the things of God will operate how God ordained them to operate within love. When we don't have love, the things of God, the gifts of God, even pastors, teachers, or prophets will not operate how God ordained them to operate without love. We need love. Love needs to be the key ingredient. Just because you have a gift does not mean you are operating maturity in that gift. But we need to operate in love versus the flesh. Okay, now back to verse 3. But he who prophesies speaks edification, exhortation, and comfort to men. I'm going to read it again. But he who prophesies speaks advocation, exhortation, 
and comfort the man. Now you'll see this word evocation multiple times in this chapter. But I want you to notice that there's three things that prophecy will do. It will edify, it will exhort, and it will comfort men. If the prophecy you have, if the prophecy you speak or the prophecy you receive does not edify, it does not exhort, and it does not comfort men, then I don't, I don't believe it's from God. If you, again, when we talk about prophecy, let me, let me make this clear. When I'm talking about prophecy this morning, and I don't know if I'm going to finish my notes, so we might go into next week. I'm talking about prophecies you may give. I'm also talking about prophecies you may receive. And these are three things you can, you can judge by. And we're going to talk about judging prophecies because Paul will talk about judging prophecies. Is that it needs to edify, it needs to exhort, or comfort men. Those are three qualifications of prophecy. We'll, we'll spend a little more time on that in just a moment. I'm going to spend a little time, time on all three of those. But let me, let me finish uh, this, this context here. Verse 4. He who speaks in tongues edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. See that word edify? It's already been said three times so far in this chapter. And we're only in verse 4. Tongues edifies the church yourself. And there's a place for that. That's not bad. There's a good thing. We need to be edified. I need to be encouraged. Okay? Tongues edifies yourself. <coughs> but prophecy edifies the church. This is why we wish everyone could prophesy. Its purpose is to edify the church. How many of you know the church needs to be edified? Okay? Let me just say this. Prophecy does not split the church. Prophecy does not divide the church. Prophecy does not harm the church. Nor, nor do any of their gifts do that. They edify, they exhort, and they comfort the church. Verse 5. It says, I wish you all spoke with tongues, but even more that you prophesied. For he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks with tongues, unless indeed interprets. That the church may receive edification. That's the fifth, fourth fourth or fifth time that this word has been used. The purpose of the purpose of a public tongue with the interpretation tongues is okay in, in the public setting as long as there's an interpretation. We talked about that in weeks past. Paul will talk about it later in this chapter, but we I'm not going to spend time on that because we've already talked about that. But in a public setting like this we want someone to prophesy or speak or preach or whatever the case may be so we can all be edified. The purpose is to be edified. When you're alone, you can pray in tongues so you can be edified. You can, you can also receive an interpretation of your, your tongue with the Lord. But at the same point in time, when we're in a public setting, we want people to be edified. Okay? That's the purpose. Okay? We, you know, when you have something, you need to know what its purpose is. If you don't operate in this purpose, the, the gift has no value. It's supposed to edify. Okay? Let the church may be edified. Now, prophecy, let me just define prophecy. Now, you might have a, a lot of definitions, but this is the one we're going to work with today. It, prophecy is an inspired word from God in a known tongue. I just make, I'm just making it simple. I can get a lot more complicated. But prophecy is, is an inspired word from God. Tongues... Plus interpretation is also prophecy, in a sense, in a matter of speaking. Tongues plus interpretation of tongues, because 
together combined, they, there's a word from God to the people, to edify the people. Okay? But we want, we got, we want to do, with both tongue in a public setting, and both prophecy in a public setting, Paul gives some direction because it, usually in a public setting like even this, there's always going to be the uninformed and the unsaved with this. If we had a private gathering where we knew everyone was saved, felt the Holy Spirit, it might be a little different. But in the public setting, there's uninformed. We don't, we don't want people to be confused. And there's a lot of confusion in our world. And the church has brought that confusion. It's the church's fault for most of that. They, they have brought confusion. They have, like the Corinthian church, they have done, some churches have done these things out of order. And it's brought confusion. It's brought a distaste for the Spirit of God, for the things of God, for prophecy, and for tongues. Okay? So, so we need to be careful with that. Now, let me just say this. You don't have to turn there. But in Acts chapter 2, at the day when Pentecost fully came, we spent a lot of time on that already. I'm not going to teach on all that right now. But there are many manifestations that come with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Tongues is one of the primary ones, and we've dealt with that already. But it also says that when Paul, I mean, when Peter quoted from the book of Joel, he said that, and I'm just paraphrasing here, that we would have dreams, visions, and prophecy. Prophecy is also one of the manifestations of the, of the baptism of the Holy Spirit that Peter quoted from Joel. And it says, it says in, in Acts chapter 2, verses 17 and 18, that he poured out his Spirit, he would pour out his Spirit on all flesh. All flesh. See, in the Old Testament, the Spirit of God came upon prophets and kings and priests at different times. But in the New Testament, Bible says in, in, in uh, Revelation 5.9 that we are kings and priests. Peter even says in 1 Peter 2.9 that we are, um, um, we, we are priests. Um, I, 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 I can't quote it right now, but I know we are a, a, a priesthood. I, I, I just drew a blank right now. I've been quoting it all week in my own mind, but uh, and then I, I, I lost it. But we are priesthood. We are kings and priests in the New Testament. Okay? And let me just say this about prophecy. Preaching is not prophecy. It can include prophecy. It's one aspect of prophecy. There's different words for prophecy used in the New Testament. And some of those words can also be the same word for preaching in a similar way. It, can be an, it is an aspect of prophecy. But it's only one aspect, aspect of prophecy. Okay? I cannot tell you that all, all preaching is all, I can't say I can't say that all preaching is prophecy, but it is one aspect of, of prophecy. I do believe that when I'm preaching, I do hope, and I did hasn't always been the case because I know there have been times I've preached in the flesh. I'm not proud of that, but I know I have. But I pray that I'm praying all week in, uh, in tongues and, 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 and to the Lord. That I pray that when I, I am speaking, it is from God. And it is to edify, it is to build up. Okay? But it's only one aspect of prophecy. And let me just say this that's why I, I mentioned that the, His Spirit will be poured upon all flesh. There's some people that believe that prophecy is just for men. 
Well, I, 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 I beg to differ because when, Paul, when Peter quoted from the book of Joel in Acts chapter 2, verses 17, he says, your sons and daughters will prophesy. Sons and daughters will prophesy. Your handmaidens will prophesy. Your, my spirit will be poured upon all flesh, man and woman. Is all flesh. And so I have just, there's three times in that in those two scriptures where Peter, through the prophet Joel, prophesied that that all flesh would prophesy, not just men, not just the male, but man and woman. And how many of you know we are created in the image of God? Male and female were created in the image of God. Okay. Now let's go back. Let's go back to First Corinthians. 14 verse 3. But he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. These, there's three categories for prophecy. Edification, exhortation, and comfort. If you prophesy over someone, it needs to fall within these three categories. It needs to edify, it needs to exhort, or it needs to comfort. If someone prophesies over you, it must fall within these three categories of edification, exhortation, and comfort. If someone gives me a, says, I got a word from you, and it doesn't edify, exhort, or comfort me, I don't receive it. And if I, I or someone else gives you a word that says it's from the Lord, it doesn't edify, it doesn't exhort, and it doesn't comfort, then you shouldn't receive it either. We need to be careful. Church, we need to be careful what we say over people. Well, we, allow, we also need to be careful what we allow people to say over us. We need to be careful here. And that's why I want to spend a little, time, a little bit of time on this part because I, we have seen through the years some people, their faith, their whole life gets shipwrecked because a word that was spoken over them that was not from God. And, or people, try, people have tried to manipulate people. People have tried to do all kinds of stuff in the name. You know, when someone says, God said, that God card, it's hard to fight that back in a, in a, in a, in a, in a conversation. But not everything God, people said, God said, God has said. And there are things that we need to know. We need to be careful. And we're going to spend a little bit of time on this in different, from different aspects based on Scripture. Okay? We can do great, da great damage can be done if we don't bring order and how the word teaches how to, how to operate in prophecy. Let's look at these three. Edification, exhortation, and comfort. The first one, edification. I want to read something from, uh, I want to read uh, this verse from the Amplified Bible real quick. So bear with me. Let me toggle real quick in my, my Bible to the Amplified. 1 Corinthians 14.4 is what I'm highlighting right now. Uh, it says, He who speaks in a strange or unknown tongue edifies and proves himself, but he who prophesies um, edifies and proves the church and promotes growth. It promotes growth. What's this growth? Because uh, the Amplified is using the word growth for edify. It's supposed to edify the church. Uh, but growth, and this is how the Amplified talks about this growth, this edification. He it says it's supposed to be Christian wisdom, 
piety, holiness, and happiness or joy. Uh, in other words, um, there's, uh, excuse me, sorry, I got a couple different thoughts going on in my mind right now. I need to, need to slow down and catch up with myself here. I believe that this edification that we're supposed to experience, I hope I didn't lose you in some of what I just said. When you study this out, I believe growth, will, it will promote, this edification will promote spiritual wisdom. It will promote a devotion to God. It will promote holiness. And it will promote joy. Someone who's edified, someone who's being edified, is going to be edified to grow in their spiritual wisdom, edified to grow in their devotion to God, edified to grow in their holiness, and edified to grow in their joy. I believe to be edified means it promotes spiritual growth. I want you to do well. We should want to we should be encouraging, provoking, and encouraging one another to uh, good works. Okay? We need to build up our encourage and comfort one another. We need to also in the Greek, it all to be edified also means to confirm. Prophecy's intent is to build up the church. Not tear them down. We need to edify one another. We need to promote spiritual growth. We need to build up and encourage one another. Not tear one another down. That's what the Corinthians were doing. They were tearing each other down. We need to use the gifts to encourage people. The gifts are not a badge that you write that you wear. Look at me. I got the gift of whatever you want to get. No. You use the gifts to edify one another. They're not a badge. They're a gift. Uh, you know, and uh, not to lord it over others, but to encourage, to edify, to build one another up. Okay? Because if you are using the gifts to show off, you are immature, spiritually speaking. That is wrong. That's not what the gifts are for. That is a misuse of the gifts. Okay? <clears throat> it also can confirm. There's times where I need a confirmation from God. There have been times where I just went at my wits end and someone gave me a word and encouraged me to keep going. Or, or I was wondering, you know, Lord, are you really telling me to do this? And someone gives me a word to confirm what I felt God was already teaching me, but, but I, I, would just, I just needed some affirmation on it. I just needed to come from confirmation. And that, that can uh, be helpful. Exhort. This is probably one of the hardest of the three to talk about, exhorting. It means to encourage, but it's very close to edifying in one sense. It means to encourage spiritual progress. Again, there's three things that, that, that prophecy should do. Edify, it should edify, it should exhort, it should comfort. But we should encourage spiritual progress. Encouraging people to do the right thing. Encourage, ex, ex, encourage people to, to go forward in God. That's exhorting. Encourage people to, to do the right thing despite the encouragement, despite the opposition, despite the weariness, despite the distraction. Encouraging people to go forward with God despite how they're discouraged, despite how the opposition, despite the weariness, despite the distractions. I want you to, that's what exhortation is. I know you're tired. I know you're discouraged. I know there's all kinds of opposition. But I encourage you to go forward in God. That's exhortation. That's what the gifts are for. 
That's what prophecy is for. To it, it should be a, a way to comfort and, and, and edify, but also sometimes we just need a positive kick in the pants. Go forward. You can do this. You can do this. Sometimes we just need someone on the sideline saying, "Go for it. Keep. Don't give up. Don't quit. Don't give up. Go forward." You've been distracted, I know, by the problem, and then I understand it's bad, but get your focus back on God. Go forward. You can do this. With all, I, you can do all things with Christ who gives you strength. In the flesh, you can't do it, but you are not in the flesh. You are in God. And the, we need the exhortation. I need the exhortation once in a while. Hebrews 10, 24 says, We are provoking one another in love to, and good works. We're not promoting... That's, I mean, the whole good works thing people get upset with, you know, we're not, we don't get saved by our good works, but we are saved for good works. We need to do good and encourage one another. As a church, as a body, we need one another. We're not dependent on one another. We need God, but God is in me and God is in you. And his, he given us gifts, this friendship with the Holy Spirit, so that we can have compassion on one another and encourage one another. Prophecy will also have an element of, you know what, you know what God has been, um, sorry, excuse me. Prophecy will have an element of, of just, you know, confirming what God has been saying to you. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I, I'm trying to read my notes here. I'm, I'm, I'm not I'm not communicating to myself well. Um, in other words, I believe this is what I'm trying to say in my notes. Is that Posse would have this element of saying, you know, I don't know about you, but there's been times where I've been praying about something. I'm in a fork in the road. I don't know which way to go. Or there's a problem. And I'm trying to pray to how to handle it, how to respond to it. Or maybe I'm at a fork in the road. I'm, I, you know, I feel God's telling me to take a, not just a step of faith, but a leap of faith regarding something. And I might be a little discouraged. I might be a little timid about it. But it just a, there's a word. But a prophecy will come along. God's already been speaking to me. But I'm just like, Lord, are you sure? Is this how I'm supposed to be? And then a, someone gives me a word of the Lord that just confirms, go for it. Do it. It's okay. Yes, you've heard from the Lord. They might, they might not say it that way, but the, the person who gives the prophecy doesn't know that God's been speaking to you, perhaps, most likely. But they, they said, God, you know what, God? I just felt God's been telling me to say this. And it was spot on what, what God's already been telling me. Okay? It wasn't something... Usually a prophecy doesn't come as something brand new. Oh, I didn't know God was calling me to Africa. God hasn't been telling me about that. Now, if someone gives me a prophecy about you're supposed to go to Africa, I, I, might, I might put it on the shelf, and if it comes up again, then I might pull it off the shelf and entertain it. But it, 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 it's something that God already been speaking to me. I'm his child. God doesn't need to use a, a third party to speak to me. At the same point in time, I also understand that sometimes I'm not listening very well. And sometimes God needs to use a third party to either confirm something or get my attention because God's been trying to speak to me, but I've been kind of distracted and busy, distracted in my emotions, distracted with other things. 
And I, I, I've had this notion that God wanted to speak to me about this, but I haven't really been paying attention because I've been so distracted. And sometimes, and so in that, that sense, it can be kind of a brand new thing, but not because God hasn't been trying to speak to me. I just haven't been listening. Okay. But the uh, prophecy can also come across as this. Remember God's word. Remember his promises. Remember his faithfulness. Remember that he has not forsaken you. Prophecy can also come out. I know you are hurting, but go forward in God. It might not use those exact words, but how many know the Holy Spirit, one of his roles is he will bring things to our remembrance, including the scripture. He will remind us of God's promises. He will remind us of God's faithfulness. He remind us of the word of God. And sometimes a prophecy will come in that way uh, to encourage that. Prophecy can also come to implore you in a positive way to, to, another, to request urgently to beseech you by the mercies of God to present yourselves in my holy sight. It can come as a beseech, kind of like a beg, a request, an urgent request to keep you on track to do the right thing. It can't force you. It can't manipulate you. But it can sometimes come across as an exhortation. It can come across as a beseech. I beseech you. You know the right way. Do it. And, it, and it's not, it's usually, again, it's not, it's, that no, when it says you know the right way, it's just confirming something you already know. <laughs> okay? Sometimes people misunderstand some of this stuff. Even as a pastor, a lot of times I'm trying to exhort you in the middle of my teachings. But, and some people think that my passion is sometimes too hard or too blunt, but I'm just trying to exhort you to do the right thing. I can't make you. I can't, um, I can't mandate some of this stuff. You know, you, you know where we get the ridicule the most, Sherry and I, through the years? Is this whole thing about loving one another. We've had more people hate us, and we've had more hate mail and different things about to teach about loving one another, which is exactly the opposite of what I just said, you know. And uh, then do we have anything else? The third thing that prophecy should do, I talked about edification, I talked about exhorting. The third one is comfort. Comfort to console. It brings an element of ease and peace to, in dealing with current or past failures, disappointments, and troubles. The Holy Spirit, through the gifts, through prophecy, specifically, will bring an element of peace and ease, despite the failures, despite disappointments, despite the troubles. I'm not saying that, you know, when I talk about failures, I understand about sin. But even then, even when dealing with sin, the Holy Spirit is good. It's good. One of the first things the Holy Spirit is going to remind you, even if you're doing something wrong, is that God loves you. Because it's his goodness that leads you to repentance. He's not going to condone the behavior of his sin. But he is going to affirm his love to you. Okay. There's compassionate recovery versus condemning failure. In other words, we are compassionately trying to recover people from failure. Mistakes, not condemning them. That makes sense? And there can be a comfort, there can be an exhortation towards that. I don't know about you, have you ever missed it and needed help to get back? 
Have you ever gotten off track? Have you ever messed up? Whether it be sin or maybe you just got depressed and you just can't find your way back. You need some comfort. You need some prophecy. You need the Lord to minister to you. Have you ever grown weary and doing good and needed help getting back on track? You might have been standing in faith for your loved one or whatever the case may be, but in the midst of the storm, you just got tired like Moses' hands just came down. It's not like Moses wanted to put his hands down, but sometimes you can only keep your hands up so long. And you need an Aaron and her through prophecy, sort of speaking, then lift your hands up. The gifts of the edifying courage. We're all been like Moses. We're doing a great thing, but you know, I, 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 need, I need an Aaron and her. After a while, someone needs to come across and keep Aaron and her hands up so they can keep Moses' hands up. You know? Someone's got to come by. Have you ever been discouraged? Like Peter, you've been fishing all night and caught nothing. You just cleaned your nets after being discouraged. You caught nothing. I mean, that was that fishing was uh, Peter's livelihood. It was his business. And he came home, home empty to his wife. Saying, I caught nothing today, Ma, honey. He was discouraged. He's tired. He's been fishing all night. He tried fishing all night, catching nothing. See how you feel. You know, it, he, but, and then Jesus comes into the boat of his life, launch out into the deep and put down the nets for a catch. And first of all, Peter came out empty at night, and, you're, and I don't know all the reasons why, but you don't fish at, during the day. You fish at night. My, my explanation is that the fish can see the net. But I might, not, I might be wrong. I don't know. But at the same point in time, uh, you know, Jesus came to encourage him. And it says in uh, Luke chapter 5 that he was discouraged. Ever been discouraged? I've been discouraged. I've been discouraged as a pastor. There's been times I wanted to quit in my flesh. But then the word of the Lord came to me, and sometimes it came to a friend, or to someone, to a word or whatnot. And it's like, you know what? Keep going on. Keep going on. And I needed that. I knew God was always speaking to me about not quitting. My flesh just got the better, better of me in the moment. You know, I don't know about you, but I prayed to God to use me. And it didn't go the way I thought it would go. It didn't feel like I thought it would feel. And I needed some comfort. And sometimes through a prophecy to comfort me, to exhort me, to edify me. Many times I've been disappointed. Hope deferred says it makes our heart sick. <coughs> Excuse me. I didn't mean to emphasize it that way. Many times, I hope it makes the heart sick. But, but it also says that when the answer comes, it's like a tree of life. I don't know about you, but I've been disappointed. I've been discouraged. And then someone comes along and gives me a word from God. And consoles me, encourages me, edifies me, exhorts me. Many times I fell. And someone gives me a word, speaking right into that disappointment, speaking right into that failure to get me back on track, to come to repentance if I needed to, and get me back on track. I don't know about you, but and I know sometimes people think pastors are perfect, but I can misspeak. I can mess up handling a situation, okay? I can be discouraged, even on the verge of being devastated. And I need a word from God 
to turn that thing around. How many know you can get one word from God? They can save the day. He can change everything with just one word. And God might have been ministering to you, but how I many you know sometimes when you are at your wit's end, when you are an emotional basket case, you're not listening very well. And then someone gives you a word. God's been already trying to speak to you, but you're just not listening. Not you become rebellious, you just the emotions begin the best of you. But then the word of the Lord comes to you. Do do a word of prophecy and just you just it gets your attention. And you turn 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 the situation around. Okay. Uh, there was a note here I was gonna maybe I'll get to it. Uh, how are we doing on time? Just trying to think. Okay, we got a few more minutes here. Um, let's go back to First Corinthians 14. And let's skip down to verse 26. And what I'm skipping over is some area that we've already covered. But I'm, I'm talking about prophecy. Verse 26 He said, and Paul says, How is it then, brethren, whenever you come together, each of you has a psalm, has a teaching, has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation, that all things be done for edification. If anyone speaks in a tongue, let there be two, or at the most three, each in turn, and let one interpret. But if there is no interpreter, let him keep silent in the church, and let him speak to himself and to God. Okay, now we, we dealt with some of this already, and I'm not going to hash all of this out again. But, you know, he's saying, let all things be done for, again, this word edification. He's in verse 26, let all things be done for edification. This is about the sixth or seventh time he's mentioned this word edification. Okay? The issue with me when it comes to tongues and, 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 and prophecy and the public speaking is I never want to forbid it. I want to encourage We need to do it more. At the same point in time, we, I do not want people to be confused. And I want to make sure that it's edifying. That's my biggest thing. Paul emphasizes this word edifying seven, at least seven times that I've seen. And if it's not edifying, then in one sense, I say this as politely, as nicely as I can say, in one sense, just keep your mouth shut. <laughs> You know, there's a saying I grew up with, if you can't say, if you, uh, if you can't, I forget exactly, if you don't have anything nice to say, then don't say anything at all. You know, and it, it goes with the church. If, we, if that's a principle we can have in our own homes, we can definitely have that in the house of God. Where if we don't have anything nice to say, then don't say it at all. That's why there must be, again, what, if, um, you know, there, there must be, a, even when a public tongue, there needs to be interpretation. Why? Because we don't want people to be confused. And when people are confused, they're not being edified. They're not being exhorted. They're not being comforted. Okay? I don't know about you, but I don't like being confused. That's not, and confusion does not come from God. Satan is author of confusion. Okay? But if there's no interpretation, then we, we, we have to deal with it. And if it was done publicly, then we have to deal with it publicly. Why? Because i got to make sure publicly we're not confused. 
it was done in a small group, and it was not an interpretation. And I, I feel like there's someone. If I if there's someone that looks like there's confusion, then we have to deal with it in that small group. We don't need to deal with it the whole church. We just need to deal with it in the small group because they're the ones confused, not everyone else. They weren't even part of the conversation. It was done one on one. Someone came up to you one on one with the Lord, and it, it didn't it didn't exhort, it didn't edify, it didn't comfort. Then we might have to address it one on one. We don't need to make it a public deal. We just need to deal with the confusion, okay? Um, and so, anyway, I, I think enough said on that. I hope I didn't confuse you by talking about that. But there's just there's just some guidelines, there's some directions. Why? So it edifies, and no one's confused. That's the biggest thing. At the same point in time, I mean, you know, that when you talked about why, why I said this before, why only two or three. God doesn't need to give a word to the same word. He might give the same word to a hundred people, but God only needs to speak to one. Maybe two to reinforce that. Uh, we, they might all have, all of them need to say the word, but we only need one messenger. <laughs> okay? Maybe two at the most three. Okay? Now let me just say this. Let's go to verse 29. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others judge. But if anything is revealed to another who sits by, by let the first keep silent. For all, you can all prophesy one by one, and all may learn and all may be encouraged. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. For God is not the author of confusion, but the peace, as in all the church, churches of the saints. That, uh, we'll stop there for a moment. Okay? Again, there's, there's that verse about God's not the author of confusion. And that's where this comes from. He talks about not being, he's not the author of confusion in the midst of talking about tongues. God's not the author of confusion. That, he, that's not, if it's confusing, it's not the Spirit of God. Can I, is that clear? Okay. But let's say this. Not everyone who, let me just say this. Because he talks about, in, in chapter 12, he talks about prophecy being one of the gifts. But then in Ephesians chapter 4, we talked about the office of the prophet. Not everyone who prophesies is a prophet. Okay? There are New Testament prophets, but there are, there are no old... Let me say this. I hope I'm not confusing you. I feel like I'm rambling a little bit. I'm trying to get back into a groove here. There are New Testament prophets, but there are no Old Testament prophets under New Testament grace. We are under a different covenant, and we are under a different dispensation. Okay? If we're under a new covenant, we're under new rules. We are under a dispensation of grace. We are in a new covenant, a better covenant. Okay? In the Old Testament, the prophet, king, or priest had a lot of authority and power. Why was that so? In part, because nobody was born again. Nobody was baptized with the Holy Spirit, and nobody had these gifts, okay, in the Old Testament. Now, the Spirit of God did come on people, but nobody was baptized on, in the Holy Spirit. The Old Testament is also called the, the ministration of the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of death. Paul talks about that in First Corinthians, no, 2 Corinthians chapter 3. He talks about how the Old Testament is the ministry of condemnation and death. And so a lot of times Old Testament prophets spoke judgment on God's people. 
keep in mind, the Old Testament, the cross hadn't happened yet. And we talked about this in length in many teachings. Okay? But under New Testament, no prophet is to speak judgment, wrath, or punishment. Yet, in verse 29, Paul says, Let two or three prophets speak, or, but, and let the others judge. And people have a problem with that. We're not supposed to judge, it seems like. But then again, we're supposed to judge, if, uh, judge the prophecies. Let me just make this clear. We have to judge what is said, and we are not judging the person. There's a difference. Okay? And we are judging righteously. We are not judging people with a condemning judgment. We are not pronouncing punishment because they missed it, if they did, or whatever. God does not judge us in the New Testament with wrath and curses. Why? Because he put all the wrath and curses on Jesus. If God judges us with curses and judgment today, then Jesus accomplished nothing. I mean, that's not what we teach here. He judges us in righteousness and love and with much mercy. Okay? If someone speaks saying, Thus says the Lord, I'm going to judge what they said. We should. I'm not judging them, but I am judging what they said with righteousness, love, and mercy. In other words, let me just say this. No one's going to speak a word from God. No one's going to speak a negative judgment word of God over my life, over my wife, over my family, over my church. I'm not going to allow that. Every word that rises up in judgment, I will condemn. Isaiah 54, verse 17. I'm not condemning them, but I will judge the word. Christ has already been judged for me. Christ, the wrath of God, has already been on Jesus for me. Now, I might need to be exhorted. I might need to be edified. I might need some encouragement. And that some of that encouragement positively needs to, I need to change my ways. I need to consider my ways. I get that. But I am not pronouncing a curse on anybody. And no one is going to speak negative about me or my wife. Dwayne Sheriff talked about how this one person came, came to him one time with the word from God. says, your wife's going to die. <laughs> and he, he, he judged that word. No, my wife is not going to die. He condemned that word right in the spot. And, you know, and, and so that's just one example, okay? I believe when God speaks, even in a corrective way, it will always bring peace. It will always bring love, joy. I mean, no, God can cor correct us. He can discipline us. But he's going to do out of mercy. He's going to do it in a righteous way. He's going to do it in a loving way. He's going to do it in a, a, a merciful way. Discipline is love. Okay. Some punishment can be just nothing but wrath. Okay. God has poured all of his wrath on Jesus, not us. Okay. Um, we never judge negatively the person speaking. But we must judge what is said. And much of the church is confused about this. 
You have to just, in other words, let's just take, let's just take this uh, out of context just for a moment. As parents, you need to judge what your kids eat, what your kids watch, what your kids listen to, what your kids play with or associate with. You even need to judge yourselves what you're going to eat, what you're going to watch, what you're going to listen to, what you're going to play with, and what you're going to associate with. Do you, I mean, if you don't judge things, do you not, when you, a movie comes on and it's inappropriate, do you not turn it off? Do you not judge what you're going to watch and what you're not going to listen to? Do you not judge who you're going to marry? Do you not judge where you're going to go to church? Do you not judge what you're going to watch and listen to and who you're going to associate with? We need the, there's some things that we need to judge. We're not judging people, but we need to have some discernment in areas. I don't have to turn to it, but in John 7, 24, we don't judge by appearance, but we do make righteous judgments, Jesus said. Let me, you got to listen to this real quick. I know we're just about done, out of time. But you will ruin your life if you don't, if you don't quit judging by appearance and judging people. You will also ruin your life if you don't judge with righteous judgment, if you don't discern what is good and what is wrong. You will be deceived in these last days. You will be ensnared by the devil in many ways if you don't judge what is right and what is wrong, what is of God and what is not of God. It is dangerous not to judge what is said, what is preached, what is taught, what you listen to. You're not judging. There's a difference between judging the person. Even a pastor I don't agree with. I'm not going to judge him. I will judge the word. That pastor's not my responsibility. I do not have any authority to usurp his authority. If you don't like a pastor, you don't like a church, just leave. Okay? Just leave. It's not your, you do not have the authority to judge God's anointed. At the same point in time. You can't judge what they teach. You can't judge what what, what they say to you. And there's some pastors I will not, we will not sit under their teachings. And we will not listen, we will not let them have a voice in our lives. But that doesn't mean I'm gonna judge them. Now that's that's God's job. Okay? That's a whole other teaching. I, mean, I don't have time to go into all that. But we must judge what's right and wrong. There's six things here. That if I give you a word of prophecy, or you hear a word of prophecy, that you, I can believe you can judge all prophecies that you give or you receive by these six things. The first one is that it confirms what God is already saying. Does it confirm what God is already saying? Again, I, this can go whether you are giving a word or whether someone is giving a word to you. Does it confirm what God is saying? Does it line up with the word of God? Number two. The first one is confirm what God is saying. Second one, does it line up with the word of God? The third one, does it minister peace or confusion? Remember, God's not the author of confusion. Does it minister peace or confusion? Does it minister grace and mercy, number four. Even if you need to be confronted, 
<coughs> confronted on something, there's still going to be grace and mercy. There's a minister grace and mercy. Does it condemn? I can condemn the word, I can condemn the behavior or action, but I'm not going to condemn the person. That makes sense? Does it condemn? And if it does condemn, why is it condemning? The action, the behavior, the word? <coughs> or is it condemning the person? And then lastly, which we've already been dealing with, does it edify, exhort, and comfort? So let me read these six real quick again. The first one, does it confirm what God is saying? Second one, does it line up with the Word of God? The third one, does it minister peace or confusion? Number four, does it minister grace and mercy? Number five, does it condemn? And number six, does it edify, exhort, and comfort? And I'm out of time, so we're not quite done here. I'm going to spend a little more time on this judgment part. Uh, and then we'll go to next week. Next week, I'm, I'm actually about, about five minutes over, so I don't have time to finish this up. I just have a couple more pages left, but I, I need more time. I don't want to rush it. We're going to talk about this a little bit more. So let me end on this note with these six things. I don't want what I'm teaching right now about prophecy to confuse you. But I do believe that we need some clarification in this area, because there's some more things I want to talk about prophecy. Uh, one of the things I want to talk about, too, yeah, with prophecy... I don't want to be so prophecy dependent that I'm not the Word of God dependent. For some people, they are, they are they almost like a horoscope. They want a word from God from somebody. But they won't spend any time in the Word of God itself. Or I don't see that same, same devotion or urgency or dependency on the Word of God or relationship with God. How many of you know the, we're talking about the Holy We're talking about knowing the Holy Spirit. We're talking about having a friendship with the Holy Spirit. And if I have a friendship with the Holy Spirit, I don't need the Holy Spirit to speak to me third hand. I, he can speak to me through another friend, to the body of Christ. But if I have a friendship with the Holy Spirit, then I should have direct access to the Holy Spirit for Him to speak to me myself. That makes sense? Because if, 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 if the only way I heard from a certain friend was through another person, I, he, that person will never talk to me. To me, that's not a friend. And it's not even a relationship. Okay, I'm not saying that God can't speak to me to another friend. Hey, can you tell so-and-so something? Yeah. Can you remind him of something? Can you send him this letter? I, I, I've been thinking about him. Can you send him this note? That's appropriate. But for me not to ha have any communication with him, I can get all my direction from the Holy Spirit himself. But sometimes I need a, another friend. You know what? What the Holy Spirit told you, I agree with that. You need to do that. He's your friend. He loves you. And so whatnot. These are six things I believe that will help you, that will guide you. And maybe you feel like you have a word for somebody. Does it fall into six categories? I think this is a way that you can, before you even give it. The, 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 it says here, um, um, and the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. You can, you can have a criteria. You can have a checklist. Does something the word I feel? That's a fall into six categories, and I say it's from God. You, you know? And I say, you know, uh, go for it. Does everyone, is that mean everyone's going to always receive what you have to say? No. They didn't receive Jesus and the prophets before, Old and New Testament. Not everyone's always received them, but don't reject the message for them if it's something from God. 
Anyway, uh, much more I can say I'll talk about next week. Lord, we worship you. We magnify you. Teach us, Holy Spirit, how to operate in love, how to operate in faith, and how to operate in prophecy. We need this in the last day. We need to pursue love. We need to desire all gifts, especially that we may prophesy, so we can edify one another. And so we ourselves can be edified by one another. We worship you. We magnify you. In Jesus' name, amen.